Welcome to Roy Orbison Jr.'s Rock and Roll Circus. I'm your host, Roy Orbison Jr., and today we're going to be remembering our great friend Tom Petty. We'll start with what Tom Petty meant to the Orbison family and how we first met, what my dad had to say about this great man, and how they influenced each other, and the traveling Wilburys, of course. Uh, this week we got the sad news that Tom Petty, of, the, of Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, and the traveling Wilburys, the great guitarist, vocalist, songwriter, frontman, sometimes comedian, my uncle Charlie T. Jr. Wilbury passed away. Uh, the day was October 2nd, 2017, and uh, it was already a sad day, a lot of news headlines, and then this one just pushed it over the edge. My brother Alex, I was phoning him to get the good news. Every day I phone and say, tell me something good. Tell me the good news. He said, oh, you haven't heard. Uh, Tom Petty died. And a couple of curse words were exchanged over the phone. And, uh, and then the process of grieving started for the whole world. There's been a huge outpouring of love for the, for the guy. I, I've been really happy to see that. Unexpectedly, people started to contact me, news agencies, and uh, I did a few interviews, one for Canadian CTV News, and uh, I was on the 5 o'clock news with that one, and TMZ here in America with Harvey Levine. So it, it brought about that uh, maybe we should change direction for the podcast this week and do a special about Tom Petty. I was planning on doing something uh, different, but... This seems appropriate. So let me begin by saying that I love Tom Petty. Um, I love his family, all the heartbreakers. They've always been there for my family. They helped us through the grieving process. We spent a couple of Christmases with Tom Petty. And after my dad died in 1988, we were in seclusion. Uh, it all happened right around Christmas. So I don't really remember that period uh, but the first Christmas that we spent doing anything would have been the Christmas of 1989, and we were over at Mike Campbell's house of the Heartbreakers, the great guitarist of Mike Campbell, who's taught me so much in my early guitar. So we were at Mike Campbell's house. Everyone came over, Ben Montench, the piano player, who was a good friend of my dad's. Backstage, you would always find Ben Mont and my dad over in the corner talking. Uh, I got along with Mike Campbell because he played guitar, and his daughter's name was Bree, which at the time I was thinking mostly of the cheese. I love Bree cheese. So Bree, and I'm sure she's a grown, <laughs> grown woman now. Um, but Mike and his wife and their house and the piano in their house and uh, a lot of good memories of Christmas. Jeff Lynn was probably there. But uh, but I really only remember the Heartbreakers at, the, at that time and Tom Petty. And it was a sad Christmas, the first Christmas without my dad. And uh, my mom was cheered up that, you know, Tom phoned and we didn't have any place really to go. And he invited us for their family Christmas. So that's one of my great memories of Tom Petty. 
A story that Harvey Levine asked me about and everyone seems to be asking about is the guitar that Tom Petty gave me for my 19th birthday. So the story is that I was with my mom, Barbara Orbison, and we were at Mike Campbell's house on my birthday, and that might have been 89 or 90. I think it was 89. And um, they come walking into the room with a guitar case and Tom Petty and Mike Campbell and my mom. And they opened the guitar case, and I didn't realize it was for me. I thought it was just a Tom Petty guitar that they were showing me. It was uh, one of those kind of red sunburst kind of Rickenbackers, 12-string. I should know the model name, but I don't. It's a Rickenbacker 1230 or something like that. But it was a beautiful guitar, and I still can't believe it was for me. But it was. They said, Roy, I'm going to give you this guitar. Mike and I went down and picked it out and everything. So we all played it a little bit, I think even my mom. But uh, that day I also remember Mike Campbell went in the other room and he came out with a CD and he said, Roy, I really want you to listen to this. He knew I was into the blues and I think I was listening to Roy Buchanan, the guitarist at the time. He said, Roy, you got to start with this, Howlin' Wolf. And so he gave me a CD that I still have of Howlin' Wolf's greatest hits and uh, Howlin' Wolf had the, the guitarist Hubert Sumlin, who was a kind of awkward, simplistic, but amazing player, rhythmically, and his note choice was unbelievable. Mike pointed me in the direction of Howlin' Wolf, and I've been thanking him ever since. Tom uh, showed me the 12-string jangliness, and I, I heard it on a lot of his records, on a lot of his albums, and it's... It's something that I think Tom got from Roger McGuinn of The Birds. I know he worked with Roger and uh, collaborated and toured with Roger quite a bit. That was a big influence on Tom Petty. And John Lennon also played uh, Rickenbackers famously and 12-string Rickenbackers somewhere. I always thought that John got it from Roy. Um, my dad always played an acoustic 12-string there's actually an acoustic 12-string at the beginning of Pretty Woman. That riff that you hear, one of the reasons it sounds so alive and and like it's jumping out of the speakers. I always call it a rubber band shooting you in the face. That first riff of Pretty Woman, boom, 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 comes out like, you know, a slap to the face because of this 12... It, no, more jumps out of the speakers. It's like hands jumping out and giving you a hug out of the speakers. It would be complicated to explain why I think that John Lennon was attracted to 12 strings because of Roy, but I know a whole generation of people were attracted to the 12 string because of John Lennon, and that's a fact. And I, I would say that it, uh, Roger McGuinn of the Birds picked it up from John, Tom picked it up from Roger, and I picked it up from Tom. <laughs> so it's a nice little circle that I, I've got in my, at least in my imagination. The first time I met Tom Petty, uh, they, I, I'm asked that all the time, and I don't even remember. Um, it would have been pretty casual, probably with a group of people. Strange that I don't remember it, but I, I don't remember the first time I met any of the Wilburys. The Wilburys were suddenly just there in our life, and they were at Roy's shows, and we were at their shows, and they were at the house, and we were at their house. So I take it for granted that I know these guys, all of them, and, and there's so many stories. My 
can't wait to do the Bob Dylan podcast. I've got things in there that even even Bob doesn't know. <laughs> but uh, so and uh, some confessions that I have to <laughs> to make about things that happened. Uh, but with Tom Petty, I don't have any of those. Uh, with Tom Petty, there's a famous picture taken of my dad with George Harrison, who has a towel on his head. And Tom Petty's in the middle smiling. He was kind of the young guy of the group then. I was the real young guy. I'm off to the right with short blonde hair. And Jeff Lynne was there. The picture was taken at the Anaheim Theater in the Round. I'm sure it's got a little bit different name, but it was it was um, the Anaheim Theater. The, the, they called it in the round because the stage was circular and spun around the audience. And it was one of my favorite concerts because of that reason. I was a kid. I was around 17 and maybe 16. And we had to drive what I thought was a long distance from Malibu to get to Anaheim, way, way out there. And we get there, and Tom and everyone's already there. They they watch the show. We had been hanging out with them. Roy had already recorded Handle with Care. They came to the show to ask Roy if he would be in their band, the Traveling Wilburys. And Roy said yes, of course. Even that story, there's so much to tell. Um, they came in, and they asked everyone to leave the room. And even my mom, my dad came, and he asked my mom, everyone to leave the room. But strangely enough, they didn't ask me to leave the room. Um, I think it was just because of the way my dad was around his children that wherever he was, we were. They joked because all their wives managed them, so they made all the managers leave. (laughs) And uh, they had to do it in secret because they didn't want any record companies or music business or music business people to ruin the creative aspect. So they wanted to keep it quiet and then just walk into a record company with the, the album made. They knew that they would get too much press and too much attention, and they knew there was no way to keep it a secret. So I was the only one in the room that day, and uh, they asked Roy to be in the Traveling Wilburys. Then I had to keep that a secret from my mom and my brother and my friends at school and everyone. I was walking around school the next day smiling all day long because I knew a secret, the Traveling Wilburys. It was only a few more months before everyone knew the Traveling Wilburys. The album did great, sold millions. There was a great video they made for Handle With Care. We were downtown in Los Angeles in a huge warehouse. There was amazing sunlight streaming through these windows. And the... um, The warehouse was kind of trashy. I couldn't really imagine why we were down there at the time. It was a huge open space. So many things to say about it, so many memories. The Wilburys at the beginning walk in through a big gate, and I was with them. We were walking all together coming in, and I was about to go through the door when I realized I'm not really part of the band. (laughs) I'm not really part of this. And I had to stop, and they all walk in, and I hang back. And then I didn't get to see that entrance until later when I saw the video myself like everyone else. And they're walking in and you see the silhouettes and they're carrying the guitars and the sunlight behind them. When I saw the video, I realized why they were there. Uh, the place had a lot of character and it, it did transfer to film really, really well. They had the guy stand in a circle and the camera spins around and Roy's wearing funny red shoes and... George Harrison is playing a Traveling Wilburys guitar, which I used to collect. I used to be like like the guy from Goldfinger with Gold. I was going to get all the Wilburys guitars. 
and I got quite a few. I, I have a, I had twelve or fifteen of them at one point, and then I started giving them away to to all my best friends, and that went pretty far. I actually gave one to the fellow who's helping us do these podcasts, Luke Chalk. Say hello, Luke. Yeah. And uh, Luke is a great friend, and he worked for my family and my mom and and the Orbison Company for a long time now. Luke's dad is Tony Colton of Heads, Hands, and Feet, who played with Albert Lee, great musician who wrote the song Country Boy. And uh, we love his dad, and we love him, and and he's got a great speaking voice. He's English. Luke, what's your accent? Is it? It's not East London. Is it just? Standard London accent? What do you? It's North London. He's got a good North London accent, which some people, our our old buddy Jack Clement, used to say all the time. He talks like the Geico Gecko. That that's something he'd rather have buried. That joke is he'd rather have buried, but it's a joke that will not die. He when you hear him talk, uh, we'll, we have to do a podcast on your dad and you sometime soon, Luke. So we're going to turn a spotlight on you. There's no place to hide. So I gave one of these guitars to Luke. I gave one to my drummer friend, Gavin. I gave one to my best friend, Derry, who died quite a few years ago. And uh, slowly I've given most of them away. I've still got a few. And if you haven't checked them out, they're these little, they don't play well. They're half-sized guitars, but George was really proud of them. Uh, he was close. George was friends with a, a lot of people, and one of those was the, the head of Gretsch. So he phoned them up, and they made, I think, 500 of these guitars. I've tried to count how many there are. I know Tom Petty has one. Bob Dylan has one. We had one. And um, there's a lot of variety. They don't play really well. They're kind of toy guitars, cheaply made. They're three-quarter size, so you have to tune them up to A instead of E. And I've spent years actually trying to convert one to be a player guitar, change the uh, hardware on it, change the pickups, and it still goes out of tune all the time. So... George is playing one in Handle with Care, and they made a great video for End of the Line, which happened about three days after my dad's funeral. That was very sad for for everyone. I'm not even sure how they did it. Uh, It was sad that Roy died, and then there was a little time. Then we had the funeral. The traveling Wilburys, including Tom Petty, were the pallbearers at Roy's funeral. Three days later, they were doing the video for End of the Line, which they had already booked previously. There was a a rocking chair in the video, and the rocking chair would be rocking, and they'd have that Roy Orbison Gibson ES-335 in the in the rocking chair. And, uh, of course, the first time I saw that rocking chair with the black uh, Gibson in it, I started crying, and, and I still do. It's really touching, and it's amazing how thoughtful and uh, considerate they could be. On that album, Roy and Tom sing a duet called Last Night. It's actually a reggae pop song, and Roy's kind of the narrator of the of the story. So Tom is telling the story about a girl and da 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 and last night. And then Roy comes in with the cinematic narration. And uh, Roy, I, he laughed for three days about this. I asked her to marry me. She smiled and pulled out a knife. He couldn't believe he was singing these lines. They were they were so comedy. There was a lot of comedy. We were always laughing, and there was Wilburys. Uh, you know, we're doing Monty Python routines, and Michael Palin wrote the liner notes for one of the albums. Eric Idle of Monty Python wrote the liner notes of another. So the Traveling Wilburys were blessed with Monty Python kind of 
feeling. Eric Idle is in one of the videos, The Wilbury Twist, with John Candy, another great comedian who's kind of linked to the Orbisons. Dan Aykroyd uh, was there with us when we gave Roy Orbison his uh, star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, January 29th, 2010. And he came riding up on a motorcycle. Dan Aykroyd was also connected through John Belushi. Back around 1978, John Belushi came backstage to see Roy, and he brought the Ramones. So we had the punk band, the Ramones, and John Belushi and Roy Orbison, and they all wanted to come meet my dad, and to me they were just fans. But later I saw a video of John Belushi doing a Roy Orbison impersonation. He's very famous for the Joe Cocker one, but he did, uh, he did this kind of thing several times, and nobody seems to know about the Roy Orbison imitation he did. But he's wearing sunglasses, and he falls over backwards while they're playing, and they lift him back up, and he's still singing, oh, and uh, he was wearing these dark glasses. Dan Aykroyd saw that, and he grabbed a pair of the dark Orbison glasses and put them on. John Belushi was a Roy Orbison fan. Dan Aykroyd was more of a blues guy. So he took it in a blues direction, and that kind of became the Blues Brothers. So John Belushi connected to Dan Aykroyd. Dan Aykroyd is a close family friend, and uh, he was best friends with John Candy. Roy Orbison did SCTV in around 1980, and all those guys were there, John Candy and Eugene Levy and a lot of famous comedians. And so John Candy was a big Orbison fan, and the director who did it, Hughes, was also a great Roy Orbison fan. If you look carefully, you'll see a picture of Roy or reference to Roy in all of his movies. He made one movie called Only the Lonely that starred John Candy, by the way. And uh, in Planes, Trains, and Automobile, also with John Candy, Roy is in the background of the scene. With the, the, the best scene in the movie is this funny scene about the pillows. I got my hand stuck between two pillows. Those aren't two pillows. Ha ha. But Roy in that hotel room, Roy is above the bed <laughs> with Steve Martin and John Candy in the bed. And Roy is behind it on the wall in a poster. In the Wilbury Twist, a great song uh, on Traveling Wilbury's Volume 3, which was actually the second uh, disc that Roy wasn't on, starring Eric Idle and John Candy. Monty Python was all over the Wilburys. So Tom Petty was coming over to the house a lot. Roy was hanging out with him a lot. They wrote a couple of songs, great songs that became You Got It and California Blue. And Roy was there during the writing of I Won't Back Down. Tom played guitar on California Blue, and he played guitar on You Got It. You Got It ended up being one of Roy's biggest songs. The Heartbreakers of Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, they played on some of the songs. Mike Campbell produced half the album, Mystery Girl. So the, the Heartbreakers and Tom Petty are all over Mystery Girl. Another Tom Petty story that comes to mind really strong that was actually very important to me was the only time I sang with my dad in the studio that made it to tape was on a song called In the Real World. It was song number two on Mystery Girl. And we had a whole studio full of people, all the heartbreakers, and we were all in the room singing backups, and slowly people had to drop out. My mom and dad sang the early parts. It's mostly those two, my mom and dad singing Towards the end, there's an ascending line that goes very high, and no one could sing it, really, so people started leaving the room. And I was in the control room. I wasn't even in the recording room. 
But my dad looked through the glass and said, Roy Kelton, come on out here. He heard me sing all the time, so he knew what that I could sing those notes. But the last four people there was me. on the I was on the left to the microphone. Roy, then Tom Petty, then Howie Epstein across from me. Howie Epstein was the basis for Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Even Tom couldn't sing this part, so he left the room. That left Howie and me and my dad. And we sang those last couple of lines, and then on the very last note, no one could hit it but me and my dad. And that's us. When I listen back to it now, it sounds kind of like a, a female voice because it's so high, and I was pretty young. But we hit those notes, and that's one of my favorite parts of any song anywhere. I have a lot of favorites. Over the course of these podcasts, I'll probably have a hundred different favorites. But uh, that's a favorite memory with Tom Petty, singing with Tom Petty at the end of that song. Howie, I could do a whole podcast at the side just about Howie, and he became a good friend of ours. A side note about Howie, he dated Carlene Carter. Carlene I knew since childhood. She used to babysit me. She was June Carter Cash's daughter, and I love her, and her daughter Tiffany is a good friend of mine, and... And Carlene had a big country hit around the time, Every Little Thing. And I believe Howie produced that album. Uh, Tragically, Howie died, and his funeral was held at McCabe's Guitar Store, of all places. And there in the back room of McCabe's, which is a, it's on Pico in Santa Monica, California. There in the back in this little room, Jim Keltner, who was the drummer for the Wilburys, and my mom, Barbara Orbison, and Tom Petty, and his daughter, and Carlene Carter, and the whole staff of McCabe's Guitar Store (laughs) were back there, and we had his funeral there in the guitar store. Uh, So I went to Howie's funeral, and I still miss the guy, and miss Tom Petty too, already, and the world is going to miss those songs. Tom Petty made songwriting seem so easy, but it's uh, actually very difficult, and it's difficult to do with intelligence and conviction. I won't back down. Free falling. That was a song of the summer for me. Free falling. And I love the girl in the video skateboarding. And they shot that down at the mall that we all used to go to. I think the Beverly Center, California. But I have so many memories of Tom Petty. Some he was just there and I don't remember enough. Others were things that he told me. We talked about Elvis. We talked about John Lennon. We talked about Roy Orbison. We talked about rock and roll. Tom Petty was always about music. And I went to see his live shows as many times as I could. The first time when he opened for Bob Dylan in the mid-80s, all the way to this last time on the 40th anniversary tour of Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. It was a great show. We went to one in Nashville with my family, my brothers Alex and Wesley, and a couple of our friends and our niece Emily packed up and went to see Joe Walsh open for Tom Petty. We couldn't figure out how, who we liked better because I love Tom and I love Joe. He's a longtime family friend. Joe Walsh's wife, Marjorie Bach, is my mom's best friend, and she's the sister to Barbara Bach, who is married to Ringo Starr of the Beatles. So our family histories go way back with all of these people, and uh, I was happy to see Joe that night. We got a nice picture of that, a family picture with Joe, and 
the tragedy of uh, Glenn Fry dying made me really happy that I saw the Eagle so many times, and I was uh, happy to see Joe again and see him back on his feet a little bit. And now we're kind of in the same situation with Tom, that it's uh, very sad. I just looked up a little thing that I could read about uh, Tom's death. It's It says, Petty suffered a cardiac arrest early in the morning of October 2nd, 2017, and died that night at the UCLA Medical Center in Santa Monica, California. Not nearly as happy in, as the news that he was born, October 20th, 1950, in Gainesville, Florida. My birthday is October 18th, so I've always been a little bit close to him. And I will always remember him and say a quick happy birthday, Tom, on October 20th. I know the world is going to miss him. As I've said before, we can't afford to lose too many of these kind of greats, like Tom Petty. So my prayers and thoughts go out to his family and all the friends who love him and care for him. But I'm sure we haven't heard the last of Tom Petty. I know there's some good music hidden that they're going to release. And there's always those albums. They say that about all these great musicians, my dad included. They're never really gone because the music is so good. In closing, I'd like to read a quotation from Tom Petty talking about my dad. It goes, The first time that I heard him was on the family radio. I remember that he sounded very otherworldly, like he came from another place. I remember the next time I heard him was when he did Mean Woman Blues, and that really shook me up. And I then made a point to find his records and find out exactly who this was. Not long after that, Oh Pretty Woman came out, and everyone knew who he was. He had that incredible stage presence with the sunglasses and the jet black hair. Tom Petty. We used that quote in last week's podcast entitled Quotations, where we went through a lot of people talking about Roy. So if you haven't heard that, I refer you backwards. And I refer you forwards. Go listen to some Tom Petty. Go listen to some Traveling Wilburys, especially Volume 1, especially Last Night. And uh, shed a tear and laugh a laugh for Tom Petty. Thank you very much for listening again to Roy Orbison Jr.'s Rock and Roll Circus podcast, and I'll see you next week. Thank you.